Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> <laughs> She Loves Me, She Loves Me Not Written by Matt Butcher Narrated by Josh Curran Today is the day that I finally asked Becky out. It's been such a long time coming that I can hardly believe it. I feel like she barely even knows I exist, but if I don't act on my feelings for her, I know it will only drive me crazy. As the saying goes, it's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. It's a sunny summer afternoon and she's out shopping with her friends in the local mall. She looks so pretty. Her golden locks glisten in the rays of sunlight that shine down through the glass panel ceiling and her rosy cheeks glow like ripe peaches. I want to go over to talk to her, to say how I feel, but I can't. Her friends will only make fun of me. I wait for hours, stealing glances and remaining out of sight of her shallow, vapid compatriots, but finally I get it all to myself. She'd gone out to the car park for a cigarette, a filthy habit that I'll help her shed when I manage to buck up the courage to approach her. I try to remain calm, but my heart flutters away in my chest like a moth caught in a lampshade. I want to come up with some smooth-as-fuck opening line, but 
Nothing springs to mind. We just stand there in silence for a second until there's a glistening in her eye. Premonition of a scream. So I cover her smoky lips to calm her. After guiding her to my car, I sit her in the back seat. Everything's going to be fine, I try to reassure her. You're with me now. I'll look after you. When we get back to my place, a nice little bungalow that I inherited from my mother, I settle Becky into the guest room. It's nice in there. I redecorated it and inserted a small bathroom at the rear. It's quite comfortable, more so than half of the flats that materialistic greed slaves in the big cities pay through their nose for. As I set her gently down on the bed, she begins to stir. She's groggy, a little confused perhaps, but soon her eyes are alert and filled with that pre-scream glimmer. Everything is fine, I repeat to preemptively halt any protest. You're with me now. What the fuck was on that cloth? She screams as I turn to leave. I hear her try to get up, but her numb legs buckle under her body weight. You're safe now, I tell her as I slam the reinforced steel door shut and clank across its deadbolt. I'll look after you. It's after the fourth continuous hour of screaming that I decide I have to take steps to ensure the continuity of our relationship. I don't feel anger towards Becky, as new relationships always have their teething problems. I know she'll eventually realise we are perfect together, as how can she not? The guest room, located in the windowless basement, is soundproof to be quiet as the grave so there is no rush to stifle her wailing. I am nothing if not a patient man. Whatever it is that's causing her to create such a din, maybe she just needs time to get it out of her system. When she eventually ceases her racket, her throat no doubt sore by now, I gently slide the deadbolt across and ease the door open. She doesn't attempt to attack upon entry, a gesture which touches me. So I take a step inside and close the door behind me. We're still in our honeymoon period, and I don't want to leave her subject to foolish temptation. Who are you? She asks timidly. What do you want? I see her subtly tighten her legs with this last question. I'm not going to defile you, I try to reassure her. Sex is for married couples. That's always been clear to me. My mother, God rest her soul, was always stalwart on this fact. There's that glint in her eye again, the premonition of a scream, so I grab her throat and jam the object I've been hiding behind my back down there. It's an instrument of my own creation, designed to help my lovely Becky learn the virtue of silence. It's only simple, a bundle of steel wool glued to the end of a flexible piece of piping, but it seems to do the trick. I scrub for as long as I can bear, but fortunately the screaming subsides to a hoarse croak. I'm so sorry, I sob. It's for your own good. You'll understand eventually. 
I withdraw the metal from her throat, and she buckles over to void thick blood onto the concrete floor. I'm so very sorry, Becky, I repeat. She tries to scream something at me, but only a guttural wheeze sounds. She's angry, it's understandable, but she'll come to appreciate what I have done for her, the life I've spared her from. I let Becky rest for a few hours before I attempt to re-engage with her. She needs time to settle down and accept her newfound silence. I'm not a monster, so I allow her this. I even surprise her with dinner when I finally go to see her. It's always nice to surprise your girl. And though mother died before she could teach me to cook properly, I can still make a mean macaroni and cheese. Opening the guest room, I step inside, microwaved meal in hand, and find my beautiful Becky sound asleep, curled up in the corner of the room like a frightened kitten. She looks so adorable. Not wanting to rouse her, I place the meal down delicately and exit as quickly as possible. As soon as the steel door is shut securely, I hear Becky scramble for her food. She was just pretending to sleep. How playful. And she accepts my offering readily. She'll come around to me. I just know it. She loves me. And she'll realize it soon. Several hours later, I hear a rhythmic thudding coming from the basement. Approaching the guest door, I notice it's accompanied by hoarse croaking. Becky wants my attention. She wants me. Sliding the deadbolt across, I peer around the door to see what my beloved requires. Taking a step back, she smiles at me. It's so nice to see her smiling again. Is everything all right, dear? I ask her. She makes a cigarette smoking gesture, and my heart sinks a little. Such a beautiful girl, marred by such an ugly habit. You want to smoke? I sigh. She nods enthusiastically, with that big, pretty smile plastered across her face. Fine. But you need to quit eventually, understood? How could I say no to that smile? She nods her agreement, and I return momentarily with one of the cigarettes she had on her person when we first met earlier. Taking it, she attempts to walk past me through the guest room door. I place a gentle but firm hand around her arm, and she recoils from my touch slightly. You can smoke in here. It's fine, I smile. Something in her eyes seems to fade. Perhaps she intended to use this as a ruse to make a break for it. I can't take any risks like that, not this early in the relationship. I pull a lighter from my pocket, and slowly she raises the cigarette to her mouth. I ignite the end, and watch her take her first full drag. Almost immediately, she begins coughing as the caustic smoke passes through her shredded vocal cords. But she seems to recover. Somehow the pain still seems worthwhile for that small hit of nicotine.
I'll come back when you're finished, I inform her. I just cannot stand the smell of the horrid things. Don't worry, I think to myself. She'll quit soon. You see, in an effort to speed my Becky's quitting process, I have tampered with her cigarettes. Nothing serious, a harmless prank of sorts. But hopefully she'll find the next few minutes so unpleasant that she'll never ask to smoke again. After she first arrived, I fumigated her cigarettes with thick bleach. Within the minute, she starts to cough again and choke, and this is soon followed by a dull thud on the floor. Re-entering the guest room, I find Becky writhing on the floor in spasm. Perhaps I used too much bleach. Taking a length of hosepipe taped to a funnel, I slide the pipe down her throat as best I can with her constant movement, and pour down a mixture of powdered charcoal in water. I read online that ingesting charcoal can help with poisoning and had it ready just in case. I love Becky, and I didn't want to take any risks. She gurgles and retches as the thick liquid slops down her lower esophagus and into her stomach, and soon the fitting ceases and she slips into a deep unconscious sleep. Becky seems to be at peace, so I carefully set her back into her bed and leave her to rest. Stealing a glance as I close the door, I just hope this ordeal has served its purpose. I'd hate to have to do this to Becky again, but it's for her own good. She cannot keep smoking. I won't allow her to keep poisoning herself like that. After another resting period of several hours, I go down to check on Becky again. I find her sound asleep on the bed, no doubt still resting, and sneak in to get a closer look. Now that I'm in the room, I notice the blood. It's everywhere. Smeared footprints trail across the floor from the bed back to the bathroom where shards of smashed mirror litter the floor. I've already pieced together what transpired, and my heart begins to thump like the footfalls of a racehorse. She's killed herself. My god, she's fucking killed herself. No, no, please, Becky. I plead as I rush to her side. You can't leave me. That's not what's supposed to happen. The blood soaking into the sheets is still wet. What if she isn't dead yet? I could save her. I have to save her. Reaching over to her neck, I check for a pulse. After locating her jugular, I find she still maintains a steady rhythm and it's... strong. There's a sudden sharp pain in my gut, followed by a warmth on my thighs. Looking down, I find a large shard of mirror jutting out of my stomach, with thick blood seeping around its jagged edges. Becky is holding it. She stabbed me. The love of my life fucking stabbed me. You, I seethe. This kind of betrayal won't do. It's the sort of thing a couple cannot move forward from, no matter how much they love each other. This is it. We have to break up. Sliding my hands around Becky's fragile throat, I squeeze. Desperately, she claws at my hands, but they remain steadfast. She tries to scream hoarsely, 
Whether this is an angry protest or a plea for mercy, I can't tell, as all that comes out her mouth is a low croaking, like a loose floorboard. Eyes now marbled with bloodshot capillaries, Becky lashes out, clawing my cheek with her fingernails, and makes a last-ditch effort to reach for the mirror shard in my stomach, perhaps to push it further in and sever my intestines. I feel her windpipe collapse beneath the weight of my palms before her hand finds it, and soon, after her body writhes around in the final, involuntary protest to suffocation, she falls limp. I release my grip, and Becky sinks back into her pillow. Her mouth hangs open in a silent scream, and her blood-red eyes stare straight through me. This wasn't going to work out. I tell her through tears. I'm so sorry. I leave her side to tend to my wounds and recover as best as I can. I'll need all the strength I can muster. It's going to take all night, sawing Becky into enough pieces to fit her under the floorboards with all the others. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. She Loves Me, She Loves Me Not was written by Matt Butcher, narrated by Josh Curran, edited by Carl Hughes, with music by Fingers in the Noise and Sam Robson. Do you like horror stories told in the medium of audio? Because if you're listening to this, then I'm pretty sure you do, because we are getting ready to release our next patron-exclusive episode of The Other Stories, Magnum Opus. The itch never fades, nearly half a century since his glory days, Jax decides that his 80th birthday is the perfect place to stage his magnum opus. If you want to get in on a piece of that action, head over to patreon.com forward slash Hawk and Cleaver and pledge as little as $1. Not only will we be helping us keep the lights on and keep doing what we're doing, but you'll also get access to the aforementioned exclusive episodes. Until next time.